Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotic, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. Hey, Curtis. Today's guest, we are going to be talking to James Rathbar, and he is a certified professional ergonomist and really good, cool experiences that he has with doing PDAs and ERAs to help people in their workforces. Wait, what? Curtis, public displays of affection and earn run averages? I thought this was a safety podcast. What are we talking about? It basically is. And that's the whole jumbled jargon of acronym soup that we get ourselves into. So we're going to let James explain what those are in ergonomics terms instead of baseball and relationship terms. Looking forward to this interview with James and we're going to jump right into it. The number one question that I thought would be very entertaining and insightful for us, James, is what was the last G-rated movie you enjoyed watching? Oh, man. Seeing as how my youngest is 11 and my oldest is 15. It's been a while, huh? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think G-rated and... (laughs) Because <laughs> what comes to mind is Minions, but I don't know if that's G. That's probably PG. Oh. But <laughs> mm, yeah, good. I'll, yeah. I'll accept that one. It's a good answer. But I do love the Minions yeah, movies. Good. Even if I didn't have kids, I probably would have seen those. Is it because the Minions are such good, hardworking factory workers? Is that why you like them? So <laughs> you got it. And they're, they're 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 innovative, creative. I mean, yeah. you know, they they, they enjoy right what they alley. do. I mean, yeah. What's besides not to like OSHA about regulations? Them? A little mischievous, OSHA, not much, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Man, that ended up to be a perfect lead into what we're talking about. It today. is so true. So I love the segue. And we are going to be talking to James about his area of expertise. Now, when I first heard about you and your title with Fit for Work, I was told you are a certified professional ergonomist. And I had to had two questions answered to me, and I think others will want to know as well. What is it and why is it unique and special? Yeah, I get that all the time. You know, we'll talk about certified professional ergonomists or or CPEs, and it's hit or miss. People either, oh, okay, yeah, I know what that is, or you know, what the what the heck are you talking about? So, what CPEs are? We're we're board certified through the the Board of Certification in Professional Ergonomics, and and what we do is we're I don't want to sound like we're floating our own boat, but you know, this comes almost straight from the text. You know, we're we're high level problem solvers is pretty much what it boils down to. We design work processes and environments, you know, in an effort to optimize the total well-being of the human operator. You'll hear me say a phrase over and over again, which is human-centric, which is designed around the, the human operator, as opposed to technocentric, which is designed with technology in mind. We, we always have the human operator in mind with what we do. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're not placing that human operator at risk for injury while they're performing their job. And regarding your second part of the question, where you're talking about what makes us so special, I'd like to think we're kind of unique because there there are only about 800 of us credentialed right now through the BCPE. And that's mostly North America, but we also do have some worldwide CPEs that are credentialed through the BCPE as well. All right. So that's a lot of acronyms, but at the same point, I I can understand the, (laughs) the uniqueness of that. So how can having you as a resource or having a CPE that's certified professional ergonomist be helpful to these companies that deal with industrial setting issues? Yeah, you know, as CPEs, we're we're pretty much lifelong learners, problem solvers, critical thinkers. 
with professional experiences that are, and as well as educational experiences that are that are kind of varied, such as engineering, allied healthcare, musculoskeletal psychology, to name a few. Some certified professional ergonomists have all of these experiences in education, which makes these types of CPEs or certified professional ergonomists well suited to resolve in a, a variety of performance-related issues. You know, the jobs out there, some of them are what we call lather, rinse, repeat jobs, which is they're doing the same thing over and over. Others are, are highly variable. So, you know, you want to make sure that you have that multidisciplinary approach to, to being able to resolve that problem. So CPEs, or Certified Professional Ergonomists, bring a scientifically rigorous process you know, of analyzing those various job tasks, the tools and equipment, as well as process design to problem-solve existing performance issues, as well as to, to design a work environment that's optimal for the employee well-being and productivity. Which kind of leads us into our topic today. I bet people are, are listening, hearing your introduction, wondering how in the world does this tie into expanding your hiring and candidate pool. So as these qualified employees become harder to find, what can your profession provide somebody that, that will increase their hiring pool? Yeah, and uh, in, in every conference presentation or, or course that I give or teach, I always mention you know, that to make effective and sustainable change, you really have to know the job. The best way to know the job is to spend time out on the floor observing the task, conducting physical demands analyses and ergonomic risk assessments to reduce the physical demands of the job, and then developing job-specific post-offer testing based on those physical demands analyses, which will provide a better work environment for potential candidates. You know, it's jobs that can be performed by larger percentages of the working population. To kind of illustrate that, I know that sounds a little very technical, you know, terminology there, but to break it down, I always like telling a couple of stories that are, I always tell people as an, as an engineer, you know, I'm, I'm very analytical, so I can't make this kind of stuff up. So, you know, I always like giving case studies. So, you know, we'll, we'll give a tell of two companies. We'll, we'll just call them company A and company B. So company A utilizes an ergonomist to conduct those physical demands analyses, the, the ergonomic risk assessments, and to develop that job-specific post-offer testing. During these processes, we find that the, the employees who will be working in that position or the ones that are actually currently working in that position have to lift 75-pound boxes from floor-to-shoulder level to pick locations and then place them onto a floor-to-overhead level order selection pallet. Order selection is a, a very common process that occurs in, in multiple warehouses, multiple industries. So based on the, the evidence-based research, lifting 75 pounds from floor-to-overhead level throughout the day can only be safely performed by less than 10% of the current U.S. working population. So, you know, we have that working against us already. So while we're out there and we, we discover this, we, we learn the job, we know the job, now we, we can make that effective and sustainable change that we talked about. So we develop controls in the forms of working with the procurement team to purchase these items in 30-pound containers instead of 75 from the vendor. And then also working with the logistics team to enter a hard break into the, the warehouse management software so no items weighing more than 30 pounds will be lifted you know, past the height of waist level for majority of the population. So now we've gone from lifting 75 pounds from floor to overhead level to, to now lifting no more than 30 pounds above waist level. So this allows for a much, much larger percentage of the population to safely perform the task. That's amazing to how it opens it up because you're creating the same task. You're just modifying it as such to open it up and make it more accessible 
And why is it that only 10% can do that type of rigorous activity? Is it just natural abilities or what, what is hindering a, a wider population from doing that? Yeah, the, the 10% isn't a number that we came up with. That's based on research from sources such as Liberty Mutual, uh, manual material handling tables, as well as the, the revised NIOSH lifting equation. Validated assessment tools like that provide us with that kind of information that we can utilize to these changes in order to not only reduce the risk of injury for current employees, but also to increase the candidate pool and make it safer and more productive for the candidates coming into that job. Very awesome. So you're able to modify a task that I'm, for even for those 10%, they can do that job much longer than if they were put in that same circumstance. And then there's also another much higher percentage. So you're modifying the task in a way that allows you to be more productive. So you, you talked about physical demands analysis and that ergonomic risk assessment. And I'm assuming most people don't know kind of more of the final details. So what are those different tasks? And we'll start with the physical demands analysis. And so we can differentiate it from the other. What, what is that? And how would you describe it to somebody who's never heard it? Yeah, a physical demands analysis or PDA, which, you know, we, we utilize that term quite a bit instead of having to say physical demands analysis over and over. So we'll say PDA. So it's not, you know, personal data assistant or, you know, showing my age there what that is or, you know, what you hear with students, you know, the, the public display of affection, nothing like that. So that's where mine, mine dollars go. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll just clarify that one right away. Yeah. 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 So a physical demands analysis or, or PDA is a scientifically rigorous process. And, and you'll hear me say that, not to float our own boat, but that's just something that the EEOC you know, is really key on. They wanna make sure that this process has some, some scientific rigor behind it, some validity behind the actual process. So this is that scientifically rigorous process in which the, the ergonomist accurately and objectively quantifies the physical requirements. So we're looking at the physical nature of their jobs of the essential functions, in other words, what it is that they have to perform as part of their, their job to be successful. So in other words, you know, conducting a, a scientifically rigorous PDA allows the ergonomist to understand exactly what the human operator must lift, push, pull, and carry, how often they perform these tasks, what kind of movements they, they make, you know, such as reaching, squatting, fine motor movements, things like that, how often they perform those tasks, as well as what type of environment that they're actually performing these tasks in. It really helps us to understand exactly what this person is exposed to throughout their workday. Interesting. And so, and then how is that differentiated from the ergonomic risk assessment or the ERA? To me, they, they go hand in hand. When performing one, you should perform the other because they really feed off of each other. So, while I'm out on the floor conducting the physical demands analysis process, I'm also looking for ergonomic risk factors, like you said, the, the ERA, the ergonomic risk assessment. So I'm looking at those risk factors that may actually be increasing the physical demands of the job, which makes the job more difficult on the human operator. So, you know, these risk factors are typically in the forms of force, repetition, awkward or static postures, contact stress, vibration, and fatigue. So by identifying these risk factors that are present in the environment, we can identify the, the root cause or root causes and then develop controls or recommendations to reduce the risk, you know, as, as well as the, the overall physical demands of the job. So by reducing the physical demands of the job, a larger percentage of the population can now safely perform that job. So that's why they, they really go hand in hand and should be performed at the same time. And so basically the, the, the PDA is what is occurring or what are the forces that are put on the person? The ergonomic risk is what are basically the surrounding 
influences that can increase it. So it's not so much the strain on the the person, but it's the the setup of the or the equipment that's causing the ergonomic risk, whereas the physical demands is what's being put on the employee. Exactly. You got it. And that's exactly what we say. You know, the whole thing when you look at ergonomics is ergonomics is how the human operator integrates with the work environment. And, you know, we're we're not going to change the human operator. Once again, you know, this is a human centric, you know, design. So the human is what you are. You know, we can't make you taller. We can't make you shorter. I mean, so we, we are really tasked with changing that work environment. So you have the integration of those two. And that's what we're really looking at with the physical demands analysis and the ergonomic risk assessment is what is going on in the work environment right now. And, and what is it that we can do to make this easier, safer, and, and more productive for the, the total overall well-being of the human operator? Pardon the interruption. We'll get back to the interview with James quickly. But first, I'm wondering, as you've been listening to the first half of this interview, are you asking yourself, do you need an experienced ergonomic partner? Are you overwhelmed with the number of positions you have to assess and don't know where to start? Do you want to perform physical demands analyses on your positions? And are you wondering how to create post-offer testing for your new employees? Well, Fit for Work can help with our team of certified professional ergonomists. Check out our website, wellworkforce.com, and click on the Connect With Us button for more information. So it seems pretty basic and like a good idea. So why don't more companies do this appropriately or, or what can be done so that a company can can do this the right way? A lot of it comes down to time and, and resources. Once again, and there are only 800, approximately 800 CPEs across the U.S. or credentialed worldwide through the, the Board of Certification and Professional Ergonomics. Does that mean that, that CPEs are the only ones that conduct physical demands analysis? Not true. But having a person that has that type of background in biomechanics, in anatomy and physiology, engineering, psychology, having someone that has that kind of a, a multifaceted background is difficult to come by. So you have that as far as, you know, the, the time and resources, you know, companies don't want to interfere with production or they don't want to take someone away from their job and task them with doing something like this, which they may or may not be qualified to do. So that, that's definitely a limiting factor. And then another one is fear. When I say fear, you know, people look at me like, you know, what are you talking about? It's been my experience that some organizations don't really want to get involved in this process because they're afraid of what they might find. You know, unfortunately, that's that's not the case. That's not going to help them. In fact, that that hinders them even more. Companies are are afraid that if they uncover something, that they're going to be negligent. When in all actuality, if they don't do anything and something occurs, you know, they they are negligent. So, you know, as as we've been taught by Rob Wainer and others, you know, if you can if you can name it, you can tame it. So, I mean, if we can identify those risk factors and those increased physical demands, we can actually, you know, put controls together to mitigate it. Once companies realize that they're doing this anyways, they're just not doing it to the fullest extent that they could, had they had somebody who's properly and fully trained is what it sounds like, so that they need to, you know, they, I'm sure they have a supervisor look at that task that caused somebody an injury or an engineer, but that's only going to go so far compared to the overall bird's eye view of what that needs to go into it on how that's affecting the human, not just the process. Correct. Exactly. And, and there have been multiple times when I've gone on site somewhere where they've brought me in and then I take a look at something and, and within, you know, five minutes, 
I've seen what the problem is and, and have you know developed a control. It's not because I'm that good and you know perfect at what I do. It's because I'm an outsider looking in. And, you know, I don't have that blindness to it as far as, you know, I see the same thing over and over every single day. You become accustomed to it and don't realize that it's wrong and, you know, you just go about your business. So having an outsider with, the you know, being unbiased and, and objective to really take a look at that, something that you don't see every day, it really helps to put another set of eyes on it. Definitely. I like that perspective of having that outside view. And I've, I think we've all seen that where it's a lot easier easier to find problems when you're not the one looking for them in yourself. <laughs> yeah. So with the with these PDAs and ERAs, how does this factor into the world of risk management and how will this help those that are in these positions of risk management at these companies? What is the benefit for them? Sure. That's a great question. The physical demands analysis and the ergonomic risk assessment are, are really great for legal defensibility. You know, we're in a, a highly litigious society. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, we're doing everything we can to protect ourselves from, from liability. But at the end of the day, not just for that reason, but also, you know, primarily for the safety of the worker. So legal defensibility is one. And this occurs by demonstrating, once again, that scientific rigor that we talked about to avoid disparate impact in hiring practices. And what I mean by that is once we have that physical demands analysis and we know what those physical demands are and we've put the ergonomic risk assessments in place to lower those physical demands, we're, we're now able to increase the candidate pool for populations that, you know, may be at risk for disparate impact or, you know, discrimination in employment practices, minorities, females, not saying that, you know, it's always the case that, you know, men are stronger than women, because I can think of multiple examples where that's not the truth. But uh, across the U.S. averages, men are typically capable of performing more physically demanding jobs than, than females. So, Without having this PDA process or, you know, these risk assessments to lower the physical demands in place, you could potentially just have men working in these jobs and, and not have open positions for females. So this really helps from disparate impact in hiring practices. And it's also great for determining reasonable accommodations. That's a big one for individuals that either apply for the job and have a disability or develop some sort of disability along the way, whether it's work-related or not, having that PDA in place, that physical demands analysis in place and the ergonomic risk assessment helps us to figure out exactly which of these processes, you know, can we modify, can we do something different to, to allow these folks to, to work in these jobs without any harm to themselves or, or others. The physical demands analysis and the ergonomic risk assessment, those are processes, you know, and, and that's something, you know, I want to make sure that, that we key on. Those are processes, but they culminate in documents that, that can be utilized for, for everything that we've talked about. So those documents actually provide that accurate and objective data to help these risk management folks and others to make better decisions. And I was going to say, I, I like that you point out it can open the door for people with disabilities as well, opposed to just opening the general candidate pool. That was a great point to make also as far as these PDAs and the ERAs. You know, in a in a factory or industry setting, there are just, I've seen so many different positions and different job tasks. How do you determine which ones need to be looked at or how do you group it together? Do you just follow one employee for you know, a certain amount of their shift? How does that, how does that kind of shake down? 
<laughs> I'll use a Tom Tobin answer here, and that's a it's a qualified depends. And you know, Tom was Tom oh, would always say that. Here. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So bring bring back that old school one there. And, and and the answer is, you know, it honestly that's the truth. Each task and each job needs to be treated individually because there, there's so many little idiosyncrasies that if we try to group multiple positions together without looking at each individual one, we may miss something that's very important. It may seem trivial, but it may end up being something important. And so we work with organizations, our points of contact, whether it's human resources, operations, risk management, safety folks, to determine either by utilizing their their injury logs or if there's a new process that's going to be put in place or employees, you know, proactively, employees are saying, hey, you know, no one's been hurt at this job yet, but but this, we're, we're really feeling like we're under pressure, a lot of strain, we're having to really work hard to do stuff. So those are what we call those low-hanging fruits, those that we can get in there, help the client to, to make a really big impact really quickly. So that's that's how we prioritize. And then as far as the actual on-site data collection, once again, it varies. We try to video as much as possible, so that way we can do time motion studies to really, really put that scientific rigor into, you know, how much time they're spending in these different positions, lifting, you know, these items, push and pulling, things like that. That really helps us to to develop really great recommendations to, to mitigate all of that. And how frequently is something like this to be done? I mean, what is the expectation of a company that, oh, we did an analysis, does need to be done in every year, every five years? How often would they to still feel like they're compliant and make sure they haven't missed anything? Sure. Yeah, for, for jobs, you know, in which they have job-specific post-offer testing that they utilize for hiring employees into those positions, we recommend updating the physical demands analyses in the test on an annual basis, so every year. For all other jobs that they're not testing for, we recommend updating the physical demands analyses every two years or after any major changes to, to a process, tool, equipment, the product that they're producing, anything like that, if it's occurred within that two-year period. And how long could something like this take? I mean, if they're doing a, a redo of a task they've already done, is that something that's going to be, you think, on average, a site? I mean, obviously, it depends how complicated, but I mean, is it going to be an hour per per station or is it something that once you have it down, you're able to kind of go through those quicker? Yeah, typically a revision, if not much has changed, it, it takes roughly half the time that the initial assessment took. That's just on average. Sometimes, you know, we, we needed to, to devote the entire time because things have changed so drastically. Others, you know, it's it's a, a real, what I call, once again, you know, and it's not demeaning, but it's just what we call a, a lather, rinse, repeat job where they're doing the same process over and over multiple, you know, thousands of times per day. We can watch for, you know, a shorter amount of time compared to a, a maintenance position where they're doing, you know, 20 different things in a day and each day is different. So, you know, once again, it goes back to that qualified depends, but but typically on, on average revisions take about half the amount of time. So I think that should be comforting to know for companies that that initial, it's not a massive time commitment. It's not something that's going to put them behind production. So what I think we should probably end on a happy note. What are some of the common outcomes that come from doing these kind of that cost to cost savings for companies? Sure. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough one to, to really put a, a definitive amount on because there are so many variables to consider. But, you know, for these purposes here, I'll, I'll list a few examples. So I've performed nearly 7,000 of these over my period of time here at Fit for Work. Uh, and I've that's seen savings. Yeah. yeah, that's I've been, been pretty busy. 
and not bragging either. I just I've been very fortunate to be put in the position that I'm in and to to work with such awesome, you know, coworkers as well as clients that really see the value in what we do. And so I've been really fortunate to to do a ton of these and hopefully there'll be more in the future as well. But after doing about 7,000 or so of these, you know, I've seen savings of anywhere from $3 to $20 for every dollar spent on the, the, the PDA. So let that wow. sink in a little bit. And that's not taken into consideration, you know, indirect cost, such as, you know, those were all direct costs. So indirect costs would be the improvements in quality that we've helped to make, improved worker morale, the decreased absenteeism and presenteeism, as well as the cost associated with posting, recruiting, hiring, and training workers, you know, into those jobs. So to kind of sum it all up, performing a physical demands analysis along with the ergonomic risk assessment is something that can be done about once a year on the different tasks. And when done properly by those who are trained, will lead to immense cost savings because you're reducing all those avoidable, preventable, unnecessary risks that these employees are having to put themselves through. Exactly. Yeah. And it just helps to improve the the whole total worker well-being as far as, you know, improved morale. I know of certain places that I see on an annual basis or or even more frequently, some of the people I'll I'll see over and over again, and they proactively will tell me, they're like, hey, we know what you're here for. We have a list of stuff here. Bam. It just, you know, made that process so much more efficient. Plus, the -the on-the-floor workers are the subject matter experts of, of the work that's being performed. They may not be the experts in the best work practices as far as biomechanics, things like that, which we'll definitely help them with. But some of those folks, you know, we're able to give them that, that voice and that platform to empower them because they're the ones that have the best recommendations. And, and you know, it just helps to really improve that morale. And also circling back around and bringing it back to expanding the candidate pool. So not only are you increasing the morale of those that are already there, but you're expanding that pool by by taking a look at those issues, finding, like you mentioned, something as far as which task is available for people with disabilities, or can we, you know, lighten the load, like you had mentioned in your example, as far as lifting a 70-pound box, can we get it in the 35 so that we can open it up for those those lifting lighter loads as well. Exactly. And it becomes a win-win for everybody. It becomes a win for, for the client. It becomes a win for the, the existing workers because their physical demands are now decreased. It becomes a, a win for the future employees that are being put into that position. It's just, it's a very cost-effective process to, to follow. And, and, you know, one of the things that I should have mentioned too is, you know, we pride ourselves on, you know, performing these PDAs and these ergonomic risk assessments. And what we really pride ourselves on besides the quality of the work that we do is that we don't interfere with what they do. I mean, if we do something that messes up the quality of the product or we hinder their production, you know, it's really counterproductive and counterintuitive. So we really pride ourselves on helping these individuals along the way, as well as not making their job more difficult during the process. I could definitely see that being a a valid fear or concern that a lot of companies would have is how is this going to drag down my bottom line of production? But the the fact that you're able to be that outside eye that's going to do the assessment and make those changes without hurting whatever production is already in place, I think is, is a reassuring thing for anybody to hear, especially those that are in management positions that got to look at those numbers as a part of their duties. But, you know, we talked about the human centric design, but everything that we do 
is what I call systems-based. And, and what I mean by that is we're making improvements that don't just help one area. They're going to help multiple areas. So if we go in there and we assess these jobs and we find ways to make it more productive, that's great for operations. You know, we find it to where, you know, they're more productive, plus we can increase the hiring pool or the candidate pool. So now we have, we've just produced a benefit for human resources the people are less fatigued doing this job. Wow, errors and rework go down. Once again, that helps operations, that helps quality. It's a very systematic approach and very systems level approach to what we do. And, and what we work towards is optimizing that system, the entire system of which the human is right there in the middle of it. Well, next we'll have to have you do a PDA and an ERA on what I do at home and working on cars. That's its own beast as well. <laughs> well, thank you for your time, James. And we appreciate these insights that you've brought. Any final questions or thoughts from you, Amber? Nope, I'm sold. <laughs> I, sounds, <laughs> sounds necessary and needed. And, and just the bottom line of return on investment, I think that that's enough to make anybody kind of rethink their, their process that they do currently. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to one, one little, I don't want to call it a trivial piece of information because to me it's very important. But, you know, when we talked about, you know, increasing the ability to hire folks with uh, disabilities, whether it's through some genetic condition or, uh, you know, uh, armed service man or woman, you know, returning to, to work. Research has shown that companies that hire more of these uh, disabled individuals tend to have better morale, tend to be more innovative tend to be more productive. So just kind of, you know, leaving that in there because people are like, well, you know, that's, that's a, it's a feel good thing about, you know, being able to, to hire people with disabilities, but people with disabilities can really benefit your organization. So, you know, not having processes like this in place, it really does hurt your, your competitive advantage. That's a great point. And definitely that appreciation and that loyalty, I'm sure pays back as well, because giving them that opportunity to, to feel productive and, and useful is huge. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, James. And it really has been a pleasure. And we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So now that we know what ERA and PDA stand for in ergonomics terms, Amber, what were some of your final fun takeaways from that conversation? Well, I just realized how important it is to have a proper PDA and ERA done at your job site. It not only opens the job to a wide variety of candidates, but it could potentially create new jobs or have new places for current employees to go to and, you know, creates a greater availability for them as well. Definitely. And open up that candidacy pool. That's, I mean, that's huge. There are so many people that want to work, but may have limitations that by altering that, that just opening you up to that pool of candidates is great. And that return on investment was huge for those companies. And to think that there are these I think that's the number one concern that any company should rightfully have. Is this going to strengthen my bottom line or uh, you know, waste my time? And definitely knowing that that money spent on ergonomics and adjusting how the flow of your, of your production line, whatever it is, whatever the setting is, is, is massive for you. Any other final thoughts? No, that's, that's about it. I'm just grateful that James took the time to chat with us. Me too. And looking forward to our next interview. Amber, would you like to introduce our next guest we got coming up? 
Yeah. So we've got Ron Porter with the Back School of Atlanta. So stay tuned and he'll be on to talk to us more about that. And I'm excited for that as well. And I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast. We are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. To get started preventing injuries, visit our website at wellworkforce.com or email us with any questions or comments to podcast at wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives. 